What's up, Tim? How you doing, bro? How was auditions over there? It was good. Did it feel like American Idol? No? Okay. Hey, guys, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 2. And Ted, if you want to throw up my notes, I think I can do it this week. Let me see if I have the remote. Boom. Does that work? So we can restart. Start from the beginning, bro. Can you go back to the beginning? All right, rebuilding requires vision. There we go, boom. What's up, y'all? How are y'all doing this evening? Very, 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 very well. I'm doing well. It is Thursday. I went and took a couple personal days this week and went to the beach. And I did. I know that's what everybody said. Like, you went to the beach again? I did go to the beach again. Uh, My wife's best friend from Oregon is in town, and she had never been to, like, a East Coast beach before. So we went to the beach. It was pretty awesome. We had a good time. Um, But I'm glad to be back. Did any of y'all, like, feel the effect of having a short week with, like, Tuesday being everybody's Monday? Who had to work on Monday? Did anybody have to work on Monday? Dude, I'm sorry. I'm sorry y'all had to work on Monday. I remember back in the day working customer service, and I never got, like, a holiday off. It was horrible. Like, even, you know, July 4th I had to work. New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, all that fun stuff. It was bad. But, um, man, I'm so thankful to have y'all. So we're in Nehemiah chapter 2. Last week we were in Nehemiah 1, and we talked about how uh, rebuilding begins with prayer. We went through the acrostic acts. Did any of y'all use that acrostic this week in your praying? Yes, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I I thought... uh, Every time I've prayed this week, I've been trying to uh, use that as my model uh, and just uh, making sure that I cross all of them off the list because I think that all prayer needs to include those four things. And so I hope that y'all enjoyed that. Did you, any of y'all go through your little study guide that y'all got? Were those fun? Anybody use those? Those are cool, really neat. Um, I encourage you to continue to use those. And uh, use the scripture journals. And so you're going to be like, Nate, uh, well, you know, you can use the scripture journal and just use it in your week, weekly reading. Um, And uh, just read Nehemiah. Just go through it. Um, Just because we're in chapter 2 doesn't mean you have to stop at chapter 2. You can read through the whole entire book and just take notes and look at things that are peculiar, that are interesting. Highlight them, underline them. Um, Study God's word. Use it. Use the little scripture journal you have. And, and, and there's times where you just want to write down uh, what God is doing in your heart. Or if you're trying to need to find a way to express what God is doing on the inside, um, use your scripture journal and do that as well. So we're in Nehemiah chapter 2. Um, we're going to do a lot of reading tonight. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think that we should be people that think reading God's word is a chore. So we're going to read all of it. We're reading the whole chapter. And if you want to complain about it, then, well, boo-hoo. All right, starting at verse 1 of Nehemiah 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. 
I said to king, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed. There he goes. He prayed again. I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonites and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had become to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring, I think that sounds really cool, and to the dung gate, that sounds pretty stinky. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate into the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had been gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest of who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burn. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build so they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will rise and build. But you have no portion or right, or claim in Jerusalem. 
Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that the flower fades and the grass withers, but Father, your word endures forever. Father, it is always relevant. It is always applicable to our lives. It gives us wisdom. It gives us knowledge. Father, by it, our, your servant is warned. By it, we are guided. It is a, a light into our path. It lights our feet. Father, by your word, we live our lives. So, Father, our desire is, is that you would speak through your word this evening. We love you. We thank you in your awesome holy name. Amen and amen. Tonight, we are in Nehemiah 2 talking about rebuilding requires vision. Or if you want to talk about it, Nehemiah basically was pitching himself to both the king and then not only to the king, but then the people of Jerusalem. You know what his slogan probably should have been? Make Jerusalem great again. Right? I know. Oh, my gosh. Not that. Yeah. But that would be a fun, relevant title. But I didn't do that because if I would have done that, probably somebody would have been like, oh, no, I'm not coming back to that. Anyways, joke, jokes, jokes. Um, if I had a dime for every church at the set out of, like, if I had a dime for every church who at the beginning of the year 2020 did a motto, 2020 vision, I'd be a very, very rich man. For some reason, everybody thought it was very fancy to do 2020 vision. They did that, our even own church, Preacher Mike, the first two or like the first three weeks of the year, I remember him preaching how to have a 2020 vision, which is good. I'm not saying that there was nothing bad about it, but it's very interesting that in the year 2020, we were talking about vision, having a vision for where we want to go or where that you want to go, it's not a bad thing. A vision becomes bad when God is not the one who initiates the so-called vision. Our culture is filled with people who love to talk about vision. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and the whole podcast just was talking about that there is this new um, job or this new... Uh, this new job has been discovered in the 20 teens and the tw and in here in 2020. You know what it is? It's called a life coach. Life coach. Back in the day when I was in high school, I know that was like 10 years ago, when you thought about a coach, you thought, well, they're probably coaching sports, right? Basketball coaches, soccer coaches, football coaches. And, you know, there were a lot of good coaches, but now we're living in a time to where there are life coaches. Everybody has a coach. There's even a guy that now I follow on Instagram who is a preacher, who is called into a ministry, but he also calls himself a coach. It's very interesting. And those people that have this title, this, this title as coach, what they want to help those people that employ them, that give them money to help them coach them, which why in the world would I want to give somebody money to coach me? I don't understand that. I don't get it, but people do it anyways. But part of that coaching is casting a vision for their life, throwing vision out and trying to give them an idea of where they want to go. But we need to understand that the vision that we're talking about tonight, it's not eyesight, but where we want to go as a person. 
where we want to go as a ministry. The vision that we're talking about tonight is the same vision that we can talk about within where do we want to go as a country. Maybe you talk about it as a family, as a team, or as a group of people. We're talking about this vision, and it's more, it's not like this, um, I, I stayed up late one night, and I ate pizza really late, and I went to bed, and I got a vision from God. No, it's not that type of vision. You probably didn't get a vision from God. You probably just had a nightmare, or you had a dream. It wasn't a vision. Uh, the vision that we are talking about tonight is something that is motivated by God's Word, and it's something that you truly want to see done within your life. Jonathan Swift, who's a, a smart man, he says it like this. Vision is the art of seeing what is invisible to others. Rick Warren said this. Vision is the ability to see potential in what others overlook. We also need to understand that vision is not necessarily just for the leader. Vision is necessary for everyone. After graduating high school or graduating college, um, you probably had some sort of vision that you wanted for your life, right? Anybody ever have that? Like, this is like my, this is my plan, this is my vision for my life. How many of y'all actually saw that vision come to fruition? Okay, some of us, maybe, kind of, kind of. All right, yeah, it's, you know, when you're young, you have this dream of like, this is where I want my life to be. I want to graduate. I want to have this type of job. I want to be doing this in, with my life. But see, our vision and dreams can easily be destroyed by financial situations, academic situations, and even work situations. Many of us have stopped casting vision in our lives because too many times that vision has not come to fruition. It's a whole expectation versus reality thing. And probably even some of you in this room want uh, to dream and cast vision, and you don't want to do that because you don't want to be disappointed. Nate, I've tried to do that before. I've tried to set goals. I've tried to dream in my life. And I've done that, and I've got deeply disappointed by dreaming, by setting a vision, by setting a goal. I don't want to deal with that again. And to be honest with you, that makes sense. It does. Why well, end up becoming disappointed once again and becoming bitter? My question to you, though, is when you set up that vision for your life, where did it begin? What motivated your vision? What motivated your goal? Was it selfish motives? Or was it godly motives? Did your vision glorify self? Or did it glorify God? Today we are going to talk about Nehemiah's vision. If we were doing a leadership seminar, we would talk about how Nehemiah casted vision before the king, how he casted vision before the people in Jerusalem. And we'll talk about that. But really what this term vision connects to is faith. We look at those two quotes that we looked at at the very beginning from Jonathan Swift 
and Rick Warren, it says vision is the ability to, to it's the ability to see potential in what others overlook. It's being able to see something that isn't there. It reminds me of Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I strongly believe that every single person here should have a strong biblical vision for their life. And here in Nehemiah 2, we find out some elements for that vision. I hope that through tonight, you won't be discouraged by the fact of your vision, but you would be encouraged in understanding that the vision that God has given you for your life, the vision that God has placed in your life to see something rebuilt in your life, the goals that you want to set for yourself, that they won't lead you to disappointment. But out of tonight, you will be encouraged to where you can take practical steps to see that vision come to pass and actually see things rebuilt within your life. So let's begin. I know that we read a lot of of, uh, verses. We read a lot of scripture um, but I promise you, uh, we're not going. We're going to hit some major points from within this text. Uh, I was listening to a sermon the other day, and any of y'all ever been in like heard a sermon that pa- that went over like a long passage of scripture, but one of your favorite verses were in that passage of scripture, and then the pastor didn't talk about the favorite verse, and like you got really bummed out about it. No, that never happened. It's happened to me. Um, so if there's a verse that you really like in here, and we don't get to it, I'm sorry. Uh, but maybe we can talk about it later. Anyways, let's look at the first thing. The first thing that we need to understand about the vision that we should have that God gives us to see things rebuilt in our life is that we need to see that we need to have a recalling vision. A recalling vision or a vision that remembers. Now, what does that mean? Look at verse 3. Look what is said here. Nehemiah said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? We're here in this place to where Nehemiah, after four months of praying and seeking the Lord and and trying to basically get the guts up to talk to the king because he's really afraid of the king. I would be too if your whole life is in his hands. But he's waited this long and he finally gets to the point to where the king asks him, why are you sad? In his response, he responds a question with a question. He said, well, why shouldn't I be sad? The king, the the, the city of my fathers has been destroyed. Nehemiah here is talking about his father's graves and bringing up the past there and talking about a city that once was the capital of the Middle East, this once thriving city that was there on the coast of the Mediterranean has now been destroyed. He is sad because he remembers the stories of his fathers and his father's fathers and the stories of how great that city was, and now he sees it in ruin. How can the city of God, Zion, how can it be destroyed? See, Nehemiah was a patriot. His dreams of the future for Israel was motivated by the values of the past. 
the city of my ancestors, which once was the pride of the Middle East, now lies in ruin. See, in his identifying of the destroyed walls, he is recalling what the walls used to be and the God of those walls and the God of that city. Your rebuilding vision should have a foundation in the God who is the master rebuilder. Because of God's past record, we should not, I mean, we should understand that rebuilding is possible if our foundation is God. Some of you are here tonight and thinking, well, God can't rebuild that relationship in my life. Or God can't rebuild my credit score. Have you seen that thing? Or God can't rebuild my work situation. If that's you tonight, I need to ask you a serious question. Do you know who your God is? Do you remember who He is? See, our vision needs to first start with remembering and recalling the God who gives us that vision, who motivates us, who is the foundation for our vision. See, my God is the God who restores that which the locust has eaten. My God is the God who restores that which you have lost and I have lost. Not just onefold, but tenfold. See, my God is the God who brings life from death. All throughout Scripture, we're reminded of who God is and what He can do in our lives. Look at the book of Ruth. He rebuilt her life. Look at Rahab. Rahab, a harlot who wasn't even a Jew, who was in, Jeru- who was in uh, Jericho. God rebuilt her life. We see time and time again throughout Scripture, God restoring, God rebuilding. He did it in the life of Job. He did it in the life of Peter. And He did it even in the life of Jesus and bringing him from death to life. If he can do that in those people's lives, then why in the world can't he do it in yours? I think I know the answer. I think I know the reason why some of us struggle in wanting even to set goals, have faith in believing in something, God doing something big within our lives. The reason is we don't want to put in the work. We don't. It's hard. Ted, my thing stops, so you're going to have to do that, dude. I'm sorry, my bad. But we'll go on to point two, which leads me to my second point here. Not only do we see a recalling vision or a vision that remembers, we see a prepared vision. We see that in verses 6 through 8 and 12 through 15. So here in this passage of Scripture, we see um, Nehemiah really casting and talking about what what God wants to do through him, this burden that he has about rebuilding the wall. He talks about it to two different people. He talks about it with the king, and then he talks about it with the people of Jerusalem, the people in the city. What we need to understand in discussing with both of these people, he comes prepared. 
We have to understand first that when he talks to the king, he comes prepared because it's been four months since he's burdened for this city. In those four months, he had the ability to sit down and figure out, okay, how am I going to go about this? The first thing he figured out probably was, how in the world am I going to go in front of this king and talk to him (laughs) about leaving him? And then we secondly see it later in verses 12 through 15, because before he goes and talks to the people in Jerusalem, what does he do? He goes around the city at night alone, just him and a horse or a donkey. I don't know what it was. And they just went around and they looked at the city, preparing, taking notes. So the vision that we must have is a vision that is prepared. See, last week we talked about how Nehemiah prayed. This week we see Nehemiah preparing. Preparation is key in life. But especially in our walk with the Lord, it's important. Some Christians think that because we live by faith, there is no need for preparation in regards to our walk with Christ. But that is a false narrative. That is fake news. See, God's call upon your life is a call to prepare. God's call upon your life, whatever it is, even your call to be a Christian, it's a call to prepare. doesn't matter what's coming your way. If there's a test coming your way, what are you going to do? You're going to prepare for it. If you're going to a job interview, how many of y'all have ever gone to a job interview unprepared? Did you end up getting the job? If you said yes, that just ruined my illustration. But it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Dom, you got your job because I gave a great review. Okay? I, gave, I gave a great word. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That, that was bad. You got a job because you prepared, right? Yes. How can we expect God to do a work in our lives if we are not willing to put in the work and prepare for God to use us? How can we expect God to speak to us if we are not preparing to hear from Him through prayer and reading His words. If you want things in your life rebuilt, you must prepare in such a way that shows you are serious about what you want rebuilt. How can you say that you trust God and not prepare in such a way that shows Him that you trust Him? Let me say that again. How can you say that you trust God and not prepare in such a way that shows Him that you trust Him? I'm reminded of an amazing movie by the name of Facing the Giants. Did any of y'all ever watch Facing the Giants? Come on. I love that movie. Terrible acting, horrible acting, some of the worst acting in the world. I cannot tell you that and communicate that to you that enough. But uh, do y'all remember when David Joyner came here and spoke? Do y'all remember the guy, our children's pastor? Do you remember him? Do y'all remember that week? You know that David Joyner is an extra in Facing the Giants? He's a movie star. He's a movie star. He actually used to be on staff at Sherwood Baptist, the church that filmed that movie. But in Facing the Giants, there was this point in the movie where this dude used to go all the time and he would pray over uh, the lockers in the school and he went to the coach one day and he said, and he had a verse for the coach and he, and he, and he quoted Revelation to the, coach and said, hey, to, to the coach and said, hey, God's about to do something great here. And the coach was like, why in the world? Like, like, 
I've been praying, I've been seeking the Lord, but I don't see God doing anything here. And, and the old man gives this great illustration. Do you all remember the illustration that he gave? There are two farmers that were praying for rain. One went out and prepared the fields for the rain. The other one did not. Who do you think was the farmer who truly trusted God to bring rain? The one who prepared the fields. If you trust God, you are going to prepare for Him to move in your life. You are. You're going to take steps of faith in believing that God's going to do something in your life. If you truly trust Him, you're going to move in faith and prepare for Him to do a work. So we see it's a recalling vision. We see that it is a, a prepared vision. But thirdly, we see that it is a challenging vision. The vision that God gives us, we need to have one that recalls the past. We need to have one that is always preparing us for what He's going to do in our lives. But then it's going to, be, it's going to have to understand that it's going to be challenging. God doesn't place a vision with on your heart and within your life that isn't that is not challenging it's going to be a difficult task like some people look at the, the, their christian life and some people I'll talk to say man the christian life is easy i'm one that i look at my christian life and my walk with the christ and i say man I, it, it is sometimes the most difficult thing in my life it's the most rewarding thing in my life and I love the Lord, but at some times in my life, the things that God calls me to do are some of the most challenging things for me to do in my life because it gets me out of my comfort zone. There are things that God placed upon my heart that I don't want to do because it makes me uncomfortable. We see this in verses 2 and 3 and verses 17 and 18. We can talk about it more, but once again, we look at the two situations, the one with the king and then we look at the one with the people. Both of these conversations that Nehemiah has with these people, they are very, very difficult conversations. Let's first look at the one with the king in verses in 2 and 3. Let's read that. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my, not my face be sad when the city that the place of my father's graves lies in ruins, and, it ga and its gates have been destroyed by fire. We need to understand this. Eastern monarchs were sheltered from anything that might bring them unhappiness. High school seniors from last year that are freshmen, y'all remember going through Esther, right? Okay. Uh, you remember there was a point in the book of Esther where Mordecai was going to have to go before the king, but he was freaking out because he knew that if he went before the king, the king could kill him if he was in a bad mood. Eastern monarchs, they were always protected from sadness. They never wanted the king to be or the queen to be sad. And so here was a moment... Nehemiah was scared out of his mind. <laughs> he was frightened by this by having to go before the king and talk to him about this. He could not hide his sorrow. And the king noticed it. 
And had Artaxerxes been in a bad mood, he might have banished or even had Nehemiah ordered to be killed. But instead he asked Nehemiah, why are you sad? Why? Why are you sad? See, that is challenging for Nehemiah. It's challenging here in this moment for him to answer to the king in an honest way. Why? Because Nehemiah knew that for this to happen, he was going to have to be gone for a couple years. Like this wasn't like, hey, I'm going to be gone for a week and I'm going to build this wall. No. What he was going to ask the king to do was, hey, God's given me this vision. I need to go rebuild this wall. The Lord's given me this vision to rebuild this wall. I got to be gone for a couple years. This is on my heart. This is a burden that God has given me. I can't be your cupbearer anymore. I got to go do this. And it's so challenging also because of what the position of a cupbearer was. A cupbearer was one of the most trusted people in the king's court. It was a person that, that the king saw every single day. They had conversations together. They fellowshiped. They talked about difficult decisions that the king had to make. And so Nehemiah was afraid of what was going to be answered. Not only do we see the, challenging, uh, the challenge that he had with the king, but we also see the challenge that he had with the people. We see that in verses 17 In 18, see, Nehemiah convinced the king, but then he had to convince the people. To make things even more difficult, Nehemiah was not from Jerusalem. Now, yes, his fathers were buried there, and yes, he is a Jew, but he's not from Jerusalem. He's an outsider. He's from Persia. How fun is it? And I've been in situations like this and having a dad that's been a pastor. But how fun is it when you have somebody that comes to your job and they have been, uh, they have been hired on to be uh, a boss, a manager, uh, a director, an overseer of your area, but they've never really been in your area of work before? And they try to have this great smart idea of like, you know what, I got this great vision for what our work's going to be like, but... They're an outsider, so you don't trust them. Have any of y'all ever had that situation before happen at work? Oh, yeah, right? Okay, imagine that now with Nehemiah. You're going to a bunch of people from Jerusalem that live there, and yet you're from Persia, and you're coming here, and you're trying to tell us how we need to live in our city and how we need to rebuild our wall. It's a challenging thing to do when an outsider comes in and tries to convince a bunch of people that are local to do something. See, the people of Jerusalem could have responded in one of three ways. And let's see if you are all, if you are at all reminded and remember, or have even been said one of these three responses. So Nehemiah says, hey, let's no longer suffer derision. Let's rebuild these walls. Jerusalem, the people there could have responded one of these three ways. One, you know what, Nehemiah? That's a great speech and all, but we're comfortable and fine with the way things are here. In fact, 
I think that if we begin to change things around here, more new people will want to start to move into this area. And they may not be like us. And that makes us uncomfortable. And because of that, we don't want to change anything around here, Nehemiah. We want to keep it completely the same. And yeah, we know the walls are torn down, but they've been torn down for a while. And you know what? It's fine. We're comfortable with where we're at. The second response could have been, you know what, Nehemiah? We've tried what you've proposed before. Because if we go back to Ezra chapter 4, they tried to rebuild the walls. And you know, Ezra came in and Zerubbabel came in and they tried, to, they tried to motivate us to rebuild these walls. But you know what? It didn't work back then. It ain't going to work again. So you know what? We've tried that before, Nehemiah. That's old news. It can't work. Or third, their response could have been, and this is what the response was. You know what, Nehemiah? That's a great idea. Let's rebuild this wall. Let's rebuild this wall. We have captured your vision. Your vision is something that we want to come alongside with. That does not look like a selfish vision, but that looks like a vision that's been given by Yahweh. And we understand the importance of this city. We understand the importance of this temple. We understand the importance of what this city means, not just to us as a country and as a nation, but what it means to the whole entire world. And you know what? We're behind you, Nehemiah. Let's rebuild this wall. See, 10 out of 10 times, the vision that God gives you or the goals that God gives you are going to be challenging. They're going to take you becoming uncomfortable. They're going to take you out of your comfort zone. They're going to make you work hard. The vision that God has placed in your heart or the thing that God has placed within you that you feel like you need to rebuild within your life, you know what it may cause to happen in your life? It may cause you to lose sleep. And some of you are like, man, I ain't got no sleep anyways. I can't lose any more sleep. But real talk, it may cause you to lose sleep. It may cause you to lose friends. And honestly, the friends that you probably are going to end up losing of the things you're going to rebuild in your life, you don't need those friends in your life anyways. But your reward, your reward will be so much greater than the things that you lose. A rebuilding vision is a challenging vision. It's going to challenge you. Some of you are like, I don't like challenge. I don't like to be stretched. I don't like to be squeezed. I don't like getting out of my comfort zone. See, when you were a kid, you were forced to get out of your comfort zone. But now as a young adult, you get to choose if you want to get out of your comfort zone or not. You have to choose. Some of y'all had to get out of your comfort zone even to come here tonight. Or even your first time coming here tonight, your first time ever coming here, you had to get out of your comfort zone. It was a challenge. 
but man, look what God has done because you showed up. He's blessed your life. He's given you community. He's given you friendships. He's given you not just friends, but family, brothers and sisters that you can confide in and that you can bear your soul to, that love you, that want to see you grow in Christ. Because you did something challenging. See, a rebuilding vision is a challenging vision. Finally, we see that a rebuilding vision is a bold vision. See, Nehemiah was not only able to challenge the people of Jerusalem, he wasn't able to, but um, he was able to stand up against the enemy and deal effectively with the opposition. And this kind of deals with kind of the challenging in the vision as well, because when he's here with these men and these women and he's telling them this vision that he has of rebuilding the wall, there's opposition around. Three dudes showed up. Do y'all know their names? They're fun names. Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arab. See, as soon as you step out on faith in the vision that God has for you, the enemy shows up and tries to discourage you. This happens here at the end of chapter 2. And look how Nehemiah responds. Let's look at that. But when Sanballat the Horonite, there in verse 19, when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us, despised us, and said, what is the thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? See, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem ridiculed Nehemiah and the citizens of Jerusalem. They laughed at them and belittled both their responses and their plans. They even suggested that the Jews were rebelling against the king. See, whether you are in the area of science, exploration, invention, business, government, or even in Christian ministry, even as a brother or sister in Christ, just about everyone who has ever accomplished anything has faced ridicule. If you take a stand for something, there's probably going to be somebody around you that's going to ridicule you for it. You need to understand that. Especially if the stand that you're taking is a stand for Christ. Is a stand for the Lord. Is a stand for biblical values. You will be ridiculed. It's not an option. It's it's going to happen. Some of y'all see that at work. Some of y'all see that at school. Ridicule will come. See, Jesus was ridiculed during his life and mocked while he was hanging on the cross. On the day of Pentecost, people in the crowd said that Peter and the disciples, they were drunk. The Greek philosophers in Acts 17 called Paul a babbler. And Festus told Paul in Acts 26 that he was crazy. Ridicule is going to come in your life. Nehemiah could have dealt with this ridicule in different ways. And you as well can face ridicule different ways when it comes to the people talking junk about your vision. And all three of these ways are good ways. Well, I'd say two out of the three are. But you could respond to ridicule one of three ways. One, you can just ignore it. 
which I've heard people say that many times. I've heard people in this room come up to me and say, Nate, it's just better if I be quiet. (laughs) And I'm like, I get it. I get it. Sometimes it's just ignore it and be quiet. And sometimes that's the wisest thing to do. Just keep your mouth shut and move on. Because what those who are ridiculing you want from you is just to get a reaction out of you. They want to agitate you and aggravate you. That's like, that's my family's love language. All right, you could talk to my wife about it. Lynches are agitators and aggravators and stuff. Apparently, that's how we share love for each other. It's a very cruel and wicked way to do it, but that's what we do. And we just want to see people react and respond in such a way where it just see them blow up. I'm sorry about that. That's, it's, it's probably sin in my life and I need to repent of it, but that's just what we like to do. So if you ever get, you know, if I mess with you, it means I love you. Secondly, not only do we see that we could ignore the ridicule, but, and I don't, and this one I don't like as much because it's inviting them into it, but we can debate with those who ridicule us and try to convince them that their position is false. We can debate with them and try to convince them, hey, your point of view is wrong. You need to come on my side of things. But that approach gives way of bringing people into your life who have a big possibility of hating on your life and have a big possibility of bringing you down and not bringing you up, pulling you down instead of bringing you up. And that is the last thing that you need in your life. The last thing you need in your life is somebody that is going to constantly ridicule you. Especially when it comes to the things of God. And we need to understand, there's a difference between somebody speaking truth into your life and ridiculing you. And we like to confuse the two. We like to confuse the person that comes into our life and is trying to challenge us and is trying to... uh, bring us closer to the Lord and trying to disciple us. We want to look at that as, no, you're ridiculing me. No, they're not ridiculing you. They just want to see you become more like Jesus. But we don't want to debate with them. We don't want to invite them in. We could do the third one, which the third one is the best one for this situation. Because we, Nehemiah identified and understood who was ridiculing him. And who was ridiculing him wasn't a brother, sister, or Christ. Who was ridiculing him wasn't family. Who was ridiculing him wasn't somebody that was sent from God. The person who was ridiculing Nehemiah here in this moment was the enemy. Was Satan. The person that was coming here in this moment and was ridiculing Nehemiah was Satan. And what Nehemiah did was that he responded boldly and proclaimed God's victory. He responded boldly. In his bold proclamation, Nehemiah made three things clear. Rebuilding the wall was God's work. The people that were going to work on that wall were God's servants. And the enemy had zero part in this vision, and in this rebuilding. He said, this is God's work. These are God's servants. And Satan and the enemy has nothing to do with what God has started here. 
And sometimes that's what you need to do in your life. When you see people come into your life, when you are in situations where you see people that come and they want to ridicule you and rebuke you and they want to attack you, especially when you're doing something for the Lord, yeah, I don't need that in my life. Get behind me. God's got something great planned for me and you're not a part of it. Because that's probably going to happen when you start talking to people about some visions that God has placed within you and, and Him rebuilding things in your life. You're going to have haters. You're going to have those people. And if you don't identify them as the enemy and then tell them to back off, they're going to keep coming and coming and coming. Because guess what? This isn't the last time that we hear from these three people. In a couple weeks, we'll get to hear from them a lot. These people that are going to attack Nehemiah and these men and women in Jerusalem, they, it takes them a while to get away. See, we must be bold with what God has placed in our hearts. See, there's a time and place to negotiate. But there's also a time and place to draw a line and defend what God has placed in your heart. You need to find that line in your life. And when you start talking to others about the vision that God has given you, and when that time comes for the people to start giving you a hard time or ridiculing you, you defend that vision that God has given you, and you don't succumb to the ridicule of others. How strong is your rebuilding vision if the comments and attack of others can diminish that vision? If God has placed a goal, something within your heart that He wants to do in your life, and somebody comes beside you and laughs at it and jokes with it, how much of an influence does that person have on your life? Probably too much. Don't succumb to the enemy's attacks. We must be bold with what God has placed in our hearts. And when the enemy attacks, we must not be passive, but be bold in our response and say that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion. See, rebuilding requires a vision. A vision that has a foundation in God. We sing that in the very first song. I will build my life upon your love and upon you, for you are a firm foundation. A vision that recalls the past of how God has worked. We need a vision that is prepared and detailed that shows God and others that we mean business. A vision that is challenging that really is something that only God can do. And a vision that is bold and that can stand up to the enemy when times get tough. May God give us that type of vision. So in closing, as the band comes up, I have three questions for you in time of self-reflective as we sing tonight. I have three questions for us as we close. And think about these things. Because this thing is titled Rebuild. We are perfectly in a time in our lives to where we can really rebuild some things. We can rebuild what we want to with our profession and what we want to do as work. We can rebuild relationships and friendships. We can rebuild 
even our relationship with those that are far off that we haven't talked to in forever. We can rebuild our relationship with God. I know I joked around with it, but you can even rebuild your credit score. But here are the three things I want to ask you. Do you have a God-honoring vision around something you want God to rebuild in your life? Is there anything in your life that is hindering from that vision to coming to fruition? And finally, is there something that you should be doing to help that vision come to pass? Is there something that you should be doing that you aren't doing? If so, what is it? And why have you stopped doing it? If we're serious about God rebuilding things within our lives, yes, it begins with prayer, but it also demands having a vision, a goal that is set, that, hey, this is what I want to get to. And as a Christian, as a, as a man or a woman of God, it's okay to set goals. But maybe we're afraid to set those goals because we don't think that we can reach them. I'm here to tell you, with the Lord's help, if, this, if the vision and the goal that God has placed upon your life is something that is motivated by God, that is centered upon His Word and upon Him and the foundation is the Lord, it is possible to be done for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. As we have a time where we sing here and we sing praise to you and we have a time to where we respond to the word that we have heard. May we be people that remember the things that you've done upon in our lives. That we remember the ancient of days. That we remember that you are a God who can heal, restore, bring to life anything that he wants to. God, may we understand that you are a God who wants us to be prepared, that you are interested in the details of our lives. God, if we just look at the biology of our lives and we look at the intricate details of even our DNA, God, you are interested in detail and preparation. God, may we understand that the goals that you're going to give us, they are going to be challenging. But Father, with your help, those challenges can be overcome. And Father, I pray that these things that you give us, that we would become bold. Be with this time now as we sing, as we respond to what you've done in our lives. We love you. Amen.